thank you everybody for joining us today for our new vintage online service. And I hope that you have joined us and been on this journey as we go 40 days through the New Testament. And if you're just coming along right now or just checking in, we welcome you. Don't, don't worry. Don't feel like you can't hop on right now. You can either catch up or just join us right now. But it's been a great, great time to dig into God's Word, to take a look at the, the New Testament at a rapid pace, and to dive into the Gospels as well. As what, that's what we've been up to now. But today we start a, a, a new section, a, a new area of the Bible and really started by the Apostle Paul, which we're going to talk about here in a bit. But today we're going to be in the book of Romans. And today's message is called God's Glorious Gifts. And we're going to be in the book of Romans, specifically in chapter 8. But before we do that, let's talk a little bit about the author of this book, Romans, and many of the epistles, which is just a fancy word for the word letters, uh, that were written that turned into the books of the Bible. So let's take a little bit about a profile on Paul. We see here that Paul was also named Saul. Um, he was born, they believe, at about 4 AD. Some believe maybe as early as 3 BC, but during that time, and he died around 66 AD. So really during the time of Christ, he was around. Paul was a Jew with Roman citizenship. He was born in Tarsus, which was a province of Rome. So he was a, a Jewish man who, who spoke Greek, incidentally, but he was also a citizen of Rome. So he had a very diverse background. Paul was very well respected amongst the Jewish people. He was a Pharisee. So basically, he, he was a, a, a guy super learned in God's word, super learned in, in the law of God. And, and he was a bright, bright guy. And, and this guy really understood the Old Testament. This guy really understood what it was to be a Jew. Paul also persecuted Christians. Early on, when Christ ascended to heaven, and then the church began to move and began in the book of Acts to be birthed. Early on, there was persecution. There was tension. There was tension between the Jews and these new Christians and the, the Roman Empire and these Christians as well because these Christians were a threat to both. The Christians were a threat to the Jewish people because it was different. They weren't following their rules to now become children of God. And so the Jews who had this spiritual power were threatened by the Christians. And the Roman Empire, of course, that had the physical power, well, they were threatened as well because these band of people, right, they couldn't control. They, they couldn't make them behave in the way that they wanted to, to, to worship in the way that the Romans wanted the Christians to worship because these Christians are now willing to die. So the Jewish people can't control them. The Roman Empire can't control them. So there's a lot of perse persecution. So at the heart of the persecution of the Christians is this guy, Saul, Paul, who, out of his desire, right, to protect the things of God in the way that he knew, he went after these Christians. Matter of fact, he was there at the very first documented martyr, which is Stephen. So as Stephen is, is going to become stoned, and they're going to stone him and kill him, they're laying their clothes at the feet 
of Paul. Paul is right there as Stephen becomes the first martyr. Now, Paul had a radical conversion. He's known as Saul, also Paul. Many believe, or as you read, it seems that at the time of his conversion, his name was changed from Saul to Paul. That's not accurate. His name was Saul, and his name was also Paul, uh, depending on who was speaking to him, uh, depending on who, what congregation or what group of people he was in would be how they would refer to him. So, so Saul is on his way to Damascus, and he experienced a radical, radical conversion. And, and he becomes blind during his conversion, but basically has an experience with Christ, this same Christ that he is going after, the same Christ that he is persecuting Christians for is the same Christ that he meets on that road to Damascus and has a radical conversion. So now we know him as Paul, and now he becomes a missionary. Wow, what a, what a difference now from being a guy going after Christians to being a guy who was there at the martyr's first death right there through Stephen he now becomes a missionary. He becomes a miracle worker. So this guy right here starts in his missions and sets up churches. He sets up churches along the way, and he also starts to write letters to these churches. And so that's where these epistles come from. And once again, the word epistle is just a fancy word for a letter. So it's basically a lot of these books of the Bible that we're going to be in these next couple weeks are letters that Paul wrote. He wrote to these churches. He wrote to these churches with these different cities, and he would just communicate with them. So that's where we get a lot of Paul's books. It says that he's authored nine, 13 of the New Testament books, and these books, once again, are simply letters written by Paul to these churches and different cities throughout the area. Paul died a martyr's death, and just to give you an idea, he died, they said, around 64 to the 66 AD. For those of you guys that know history, Nero's era was right around that time as well. So at the same time when Nero set ablaze Rome, and he blamed it on the Christians, which is around 64 AD, is about the same time where, where Paul was reaching the, the end of his life. So, so Nero, part of the world history, and Paul, they were contemporaries, right? So during this time is when Paul existed. Now let's take a little bit more about Paul's travels. Don't want to get too much into the map, but that you see that Paul had basically four distinct missions trips that he took all over those areas right there. And during these mission trips, Paul experienced a lot of setbacks, guys. Paul experienced a lot of persecution. Paul experienced a lot of pain, a lot of hunger, a, a, a lot of things that you don't want to go through. He experienced for the gospel. He tells us that he was whipped and flogged many times. He was beaten by rods. He was stoned. He was left for dead. Right? He was also in prison many times as well. He was shipwrecked several times. He was spiritually attacked by a messenger of Satan. So Paul, you guys, really, really went through it. 
for the gospel of Christ. So that brings us to this book, Romans, right here. And just want to provide a quick overview, guys, of the book of Romans. If we take a look, the book of Romans is a great, great book to understand the gospel. We know through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are the four gospels, and gospel is just a fancy word for good news. Through those four, four books of the Bible, we see the history through different perspectives of the life of Jesus Christ. And really focusing on really the last couple weeks of his life, if you break down those gospels, the good news, the gospels, the good news, we saw it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we saw the church being born in the book of Acts. Well, now in this book of Romans, Paul does a clear job of really explaining what salvation is explaining what it is that Jesus did. So it starts off in the first couple chapters with the problem. And here's the problem. Sin, the wrath of God. So he goes through and establishes that because of sin, because of falling short, because we missed the mark, because humanity has missed the mark and we are not perfect, now we can expect the wrath of God. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to experience the wrath of God. So in chapters 1 and 2, he really expresses that there. Then chapter 3, he really gets into the solution. So now what? There's the wrath of God. So now what's the solution? Well, he goes into the appropriation of our sins. And appropriation is a fancy word to say this. We need to make right. We need to appease God. So because God is angry because of the sin that dwells, how do we appease him? How do we get right with God? How do we avoid his wrath? And he talks about that in chapter 3 through the sacrifice that God provided through his son. So all the wrath, I want you to understand this, all the wrath that was supposed to come my way, all the wrath that was supposed to come your way, all the wrath that was set aside for the sin of the world was focused on one individual. All of that, and that individual was Jesus Christ, and he took on that wrath. He took on that pain. He took on that penalty and that payment that I was going to have to go through, that you were going to have to go through. And Paul talks about that in chapter 3. And then 4, then how? How do we have access now? If God provided that appropriation if God provided that payment how do I how do I get access to it now because I want that because I do not want to face the wrath of God well in chapter 4 he tells us how we do that it's through his son Jesus Christ now chapters 5 and 8 provide like a now what as a result what do we have Right? So if we have access through Jesus Christ, then it starts explaining, and we'll talk about that here today. Since we have Christ, now what? What's available to us? And we'll chat about that in a little bit. And I like chapter 9 and 11 because now it starts talking about God's plan, right? So now you have these gifts from God. Now you have access. And then he goes back and he talks from, from, from Adam, from he, he talks about also from Abraham, how God's plan has manifested itself throughout all mankind. God's plan was always to love us, to provide a route for us. 
of salvation. And he talks about that in chapters 9 through 11. And last part of the book, chapters 12 through 16, it talks about how do we live now. So therefore, if God's given us these gifts, if now we have access to salvation, how should we live? So that's basically the book of Romans, a, a quick overview. And, and today's message is called God's Glorious Gifts. Now there's a verse that I love in the first chapter of Romans that really, really ties together what the book of Romans is all about. And it's Romans 1.16. It says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first the Jew, then to the Gentile. And this really wraps up the beauty of salvation, the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of what God has provided, and what Romans is all about. And today's message, uh, the title of it, God's Glorious Gifts, it reminds me of, of last year. My wife and I got to experience our, our 20th wedding anniversary. Now, we just, we just finished our, celebrating our 21st wedding anniversary, uh, but with COVID and it being 20, 21st, it's not quite as big as the 20, right? So July 24th is our wedding anniversary, but I remember we went to Kauai. So for those of you guys, here's a picture right here. Up there you see me, my beautiful wife Tracy, I love this picture right here. This picture, if you look at my face, I'm thinking, I can't believe she married me. And if you look at her face, she's thinking, I can't believe I married him. So a little difference there, but either way, too late, honey, 21 years. At the last year, we went to Kauai, and it was amazing. I had about 10 days alone with my wife in Hawaii, and it was the most amazing time. But because I have this relationship with my wife, because I am married to my wife, Tracy, that comes with certain gifts. That comes with certain things that I have access to. That comes with certain things that that relationship to her provides for me, and, and, and top four are my children here. Diego is my oldest. Next to him is my daughter, Macy. Then we have Kayla next to Macy and my youngest, Marco. I look forward to you, all you guys meeting them too or are off to college here pretty soon. Um, so hopefully you'll meet them sometime soon. But because of my relationship with my wife, Tracy, I've got now great gifts. I've got access to, to wonderful uh, uh, memories, wonderful experiences, wonderful uh, children, wonderful relationship, and, and how we complement each other. And I would not be who I was without the blessing of my wife. And because I have that relationship with my wife, I now have access to to a lot of gifts that bless me so much. And today, we're going to be taking a look at some of God's glorious gifts, not through my marriage, but through our relationship with Jesus Christ. So let's take a look at it right now. Let's get right into it. And Romans 8, chapters, uh, verses 1 and 2 say this, Therefore, 
there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free. Say it with me. Free. Let me hear you. Free. Good. Set me free from the law of sin and death. Romans 8, 1, 2. That brings us to our first point today. Our first point of God's glorious gifts is liberty. Paul tells us there that he is now free from the law of sin and death. Man, that is so beautiful that as we establish a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, we are now free. We now have liberty. We now have liberty from living a life to being a slave of sin. Uh, because we cannot fulfill the law on our own. We are slaves to sin because we cannot help it but to sin. But through Jesus Christ, we now have liberty. And Paul found that out through his uh, conversion, how he went from a guy trying to follow God's law. And the problem with trying to follow the law is that it was never intended for our salvation. Paul and the Pharisees would live by that law and thought that by living and following that law and walking day and day with it, it would mean that they were righteous enough, but they missed the mark. The law was never intended for that. Matter of fact, the law was the opposite. The law was intended to show Paul, the Pharisees, you, myself, your neighbors, and anybody ever to show them this, on your own, you cannot fulfill the law. On your own, it is impossible for you to be righteous. On your own, left to your own devices, no matter how much you follow that law, you will sin. So it was really created to be a mirror to us to see that no matter how bad we try, no matter how much effort we put into it, we still do not have the liberty to live in freedom because we are slaves to sin. Well, through relationship with Jesus Christ, and Paul found this out, and hopefully you have found this out. And if you haven't, I encourage you to do so through that relationship with Christ. You have a gift, and that gift is liberty. It's freedom. It's freedom from sin, not freedom to sin, but freedom from sin. And wow, it feels so great as I think about my days of life before I gave my life to the Lord, before I decided to live for God. I think about how my life was empty, how my life was compelled to sin. But now through my relationship through Jesus Christ that I have with God, that now I am free. And the Bible tells us too, that if the Son has set you free, then you are free indeed. So as a child of God, you have liberty. But I hope that you're living in that liberty. I hope that knowing that you're a child of God provides that liberty. Now, if you've never made that decision to follow Christ, to give your life to Him, to be baptized, and to live for God, well, well I, I ask you to consider it. I ask you to think about your ways 
and think about what God has for you as his child. Because this liberty, you guys, is not promised to everybody. This liberty is not just because you're born, you get this liberty. This liberty are for those that experience that conversion like Paul did to have Christ and make that relationship with them. Now, if you do have Christ in your heart and you're his child, what are you doing with that liberty? Are you taking that liberty as an excuse to sin? Are you taking that liberty as an excuse to think, oh, I'm going to heaven, I don't need to serve the Lord? Or are you taking that liberty to live free from sin and have liberty to live for the Lord? Well, hopefully it's the latter. So we know that one of God's glorious gifts is the liberty in which he gives us. Let's take a look at the next point here as we take a look at Romans 8, 6, 7. It goes on and says this. The mind of a sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God, but does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Romans 8, 6, 7. This brings me to my next point here, one of God's glorious gifts. We know we have liberty. We also have life. Say life. Say it again, life. Good, good. We've got life. Wow. It's so beautiful that through our relationship with Christ, through our relationship with God, now indeed we've become alive. Now, all of us have this life. If you're watching, you're alive. You can hear, you can see, you're breathing, you're eating. But if you're watching and you have not given your life to Christ, then you are not alive in the Spirit. And for the, those of you that are alive in the Spirit, I want you to know this. Actually, anybody that's listening, the life that God wants for you is to benefit you, you guys. God has a life that it shares with us right here in this verse. This is what he wants from us. Uh, 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 just compare this, the two differences. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now let's just let that sit right there for a little bit. That Christ has come to give you life, but what kind of life? Life to its fullest compared to the thief, compared to the enemy, compared to, to Satan who comes to steal, to destroy, and to just abolish you. But think about what Christ has for you. Not only does he give you life, but he wants to give you an abundant life. You know, let's take a look at, at the Ten Commandments here. This is an exercise I like to do because when we think of the Ten Commandments, often we think of just those, those stones, right? We think of Moses, and, and maybe for some of you guys, you think of some archaic rules or social mores or some religious stuff, right? But that's not what it is at all. So I like to think about the Ten Commandments in a different way. So I want you to follow along with me right now. Now, the most important thing about serving the Lord and obeying God is really the spiritual implications that come with that, is really the spiritual benefits that you get with that, to, to live for the Lord, right, and to glorify God and, and, and to have eternity as a Christian. Those are wonderful. But you know what? If you removed all those spiritual implications and we just 
took a look at the Ten Commandments for what they were, for just somebody that lives them. I want you to understand that God's principles for you, for your life are good. God's laws for your life are for your benefit. God's way of living, if you apply the Bible to your life, to your relationships, to your finances, to, to your health, to your diet, you name it. If you live according to God's word, you benefit. So God wants life for you and life more abundantly, and he wants you to live life to the full. So for example, let's take a look at these Ten Commandments back here. Let's take a look at guy A, let's call him Adam, right? And let's take a look at guy B, and let's call him Brian. Well, Adam lives by the Ten Commandments. Once again, we're going to remove all the spiritual implications of it and just look at the practical living implications. And guy B, Brian, you know what? Denies all those Ten Commandments. So the first four of the Ten Commandments are really built around our relationship with the Lord. If we take a look at them, to have no other gods before me, to have no idols, to not use God's name in vain, and then to also observe the Sabbath, right? Those are really the first four about our relationship with God. And the next six are really about our relationship with each other, with man and man, brother and brother, sister, neighbor, how we treat each other. But let's take a look at Adam, right? And let's say that Adam lives by all the Ten Commandments. He has no other God before him, right? He doesn't have uh, uh, idols, he, he doesn't use God's name in vain, so he doesn't have a dirty mouth. He's not cursing God, and he observes the Sabbath. Right? He, he rests. Right? Uh, but then it moves into the other ones. It talks about how he deals with man. Right? Let's take a look at those, and we see now that he honors his mother and his father. So he has a great relationship with mom and pops, Adam does. Well, well that's good. That's good. Now... He hasn't murdered. He hasn't killed anybody. He's not freaking out about that. He hasn't committed adultery, right? He, which means he probably has a really good relationship with his wife. He doesn't steal. He doesn't take from his neighbor. So when he sees, when he sees the law, he doesn't freak out, right? He's not always wondering what his neighbors are going to do or, or what he stole, right? And then he doesn't bear false witness. He's not a liar. He tells the truth. Unless he doesn't covet, he's satisfied. Let's compare that to Brian, right? Who, Brian, has all these false gods. Mm, off to a bad start right now. And he has these, these, these images and the idols of these gods that have no power. He has gods with ears and can't hear. He has gods with eyes and, and, and can't see. He has, he has uh, uh, carved images of these idols with, with gods, with arms that, that can't touch, with no power, just taking up space. We see that he constantly uses God's name in vain, so he has a dirty mouth, so out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Right? doesn't observe the Sabbath. He doesn't rest. What's the value of his life so far? Not too good, right? And let's get to the next one. He doesn't honor his father and his mother. He doesn't have a relate, good relationship with them. So now we see that Brian, right, gets no rest, has a dirty mouth, right, and worship these gods that do nothing for him. And now 
has a bad relationship with his mom and dad because he's never honored them. You start seeing the trend now with Brian compared to Adam. Right. Let's take a look at the next one here, that he's a murderer. Oh, man. Wow. Once again, remove the spiritual component of it, guys. Remove the salvation component of it. Now, he's murdered. Guess what? He's cheated on his wife probably several times. What's the quality of his life right now of this guy that's murdered, of this guy that commits adultery? How do you think his children feel about him? How do you think his wife feels about him? How do you think he feels about himself? Now he's also stolen. Who, from whom, who knows? Maybe his work. How does he feel at work now? Oh, or maybe he's stolen from his family. How does his family feel about him? Maybe he's stolen from his neighbors. How does his neighbors feel about him? How does he feel about himself? Well, we see also that he's a liar. He bears false witness. So when he talks, nobody trusts him. He doesn't get respect from anybody because every time he opens his mouth, it's a lie. And guess what? He covets. He's not happy. Right? He always wants other people's stuff. So let's just take a look at the quality of life between Adam, a guy that has lived by the Ten Commandments, and Brian, a guy that lives and breaks every one of them. Let me ask you, if you could choose to be Adam or Brian, who would you be and why? See, that's just the practical example of the life that God has intended for you, a life that he wants for you and a life to live to the full. He doesn't have God's word in order to bind us. God's word doesn't exist in order to just keep us locked in. It exists to give us freedom. Imagine the freedom of this guy, Adam, when he's walking around in his neighborhood or at work or with his parents or with his kids or with his family, what kind of freedom he has and how much of a wonderful life he has compared to the lack of freedom and liberty that Brian has, right? God's plan for you is good. God's principles for your life are to give you life and life abundantly. So, let's take us to this next verse here. In Romans 8, 17, it says this, Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. Romans 8, 17. Here's the last point of today's message. We know that God's glory is gifts. We know that we give liberty. We also know that we get life and life more abundantly. This is what else we get. We get a legacy. That verse follows. Look, look, if we are children of God, here's the caveat. Children of God. Not just human. Not just born. Not just go to church. Not just American. Not just Latino. If you are a child of God and you've made that decision to become a child of God and establish that relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, well, now you've got a legacy. Now it says that we are heirs with God and co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Well, thank God for that because my earthly legacy, right, doesn't compare of what my real legacy is. 
to share not only the sufferings as we see that Paul did, but better yet, to share in the glory, the glory that awaits us, the glory that is set aside for us as being heirs, as being children of God. Now the world doesn't get this. They don't get this legacy that God has provided for them if they are not children of God. So if you're listening today, right, and maybe you go to church, maybe you don't. Maybe you tune in online, maybe you don't. And maybe you went to church when you were a kid, maybe you don't. And, 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 and maybe you, uh, you know John 3.16 or maybe not. But you have not made a conscious decision to say, I want to become a child of God. Well, God does not consider you his child. These gifts, these glorious gifts that God provides are for his children and for those that make a decision. You know, I've got four kids and I love them all dearly. And I've got my kids' friends and we've got neighbors. And often my kids' friends will come over to the house, right? And sure, they get the overflow of our blessings. We'll feed them, right? We'll, we'll treat them well. Right now and then, maybe we'll take them to In and Out, and they'll have a good time at our home. And there's a certain amount of, of blessings, residual blessings that come with kind of just being in our area. But they are not my children. They don't go to Hawaii with me. They stay home when we go to Hawaii. When we take our kids to Disneyland, they stay home because I can't afford to take them. I only take my four kids and there's certain blessings that only my children get. And this whole world gets blessings from the Lord. Think of the creation, right? Think of San Diego, think of California, think of America, all these blessings that exist just because God is good. But there are certain things set aside for God's children. There are certain things that only the, God's children have access to. And one is this legacy of salvation, this legacy of eternity. So I'm asking you right now, are you fully embracing these wonderful gifts that God has given you? Right? Are, 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 you, are you living in liberty or are you still struggling with, with being a slave? You've got liberty. Live like it. Uh, what about life? Do you have life abundantly or do you find yourself just kind of struggling as a child of God? Well, I want to encourage you to know that God has more for you. And legacy. Do you understand your legacy as a child of God? Do you understand what's available for you? Do you understand the riches of glory that you have access to right now as a child of God? And what is to come as well? Does that perspective of knowing that you have eternity, does it allow you to wake up with joy? Does it allow you to wake up with excitement for the day and take a look at all the things knowing that regardless of how tough they may seem, that what awaits for you doesn't compare for the temporary pain that exists right now? Or do you let your circumstances bog you down? Uh, finances, uh, a relationship hiccup, COVID, uh, career, home? Or do you go, Lord, I've got this legacy that you have for me, and I want access to it right now. You know, I'll finish up with this interesting story I came across. And it's these brothers right here, Salt and Giza Pilati. There they go, and 
that cave right there is where they lived. These gentlemen were homeless and Budapest brothers who lived in a cave and made their living by basically going in to the city and finding scraps and, and finding things just so they could barely get by. And, and day by day, they had to go out and, and, and figure out, either through begging or, or through the goodness of others or through finding some scrap and some trash to eat or to sell it and to figure out how to get by day by day by day. And in the evening, make their way to, to their cave where I'm sure it was cold and they'd have to uh, nestle up together to, to stay warm and, and live the life that essentially I don't think any one of us would sign up for. Life of poverty, a life of uncertainty, a life of uh, fear. But interesting thing happened. Their mother, who abandoned them, had a mother who was their grandma. And their grandma was rich. Their grandmother was a multi-billionaire, and she died. So when she died, all those billions, I believe $6 billion, went to Salt and Giza and their sister. And they legally at that point, until they were found months later, had access to billions of dollars. And yet daily would go outside and barely scrape by and nightly head back to their cold, dark cave, all along being billionaires. And it wasn't until somebody revealed to them and let them know this is really what you have. You have billions of dollars and, of course, changed their life. Well, as children of God, some of us, I think, live like salt in Giza, where we're barely getting by. We're, we're struggling daily, and we're not having a life of power and, and victory and breakthrough and joy. We're having a life of pain and sorrow and regret, and, and I think God wants to tell you, you know what? Don't live like that. You're my child. Understand the glorious gifts that God has for you. And first of all, those gifts, as we see here right now, He gives you liberty. Be free from sin. Whatever addictions you may be struggling with, whatever reoccurring sin, I encourage you, give that to the Lord. Be free from that because He has given you liberty. Also life, but a life, an abundant life. A life so much where even in, during this time, God's principles, if you apply them to your life, they're for your benefit. God's principles are for the benefit of your finances. Are you giving? Are you tithing? Are you generous? God's principles are a benefit for your relationships. Do you serve others? Are you humble? Do you treat your spouse with love? What kind of father are you? His principles are for your benefit, for your health as well. How's your life? Well, God wants you to have a life abundantly, and it's available for you. And we see here, lastly, the legacy. Do you know what's awaiting for you as a child of God? But you don't have to wait till heaven to start having that legacy right now of living for the Lord and get the benefits of blessing of being his child. And I encourage you, if you've been listening to this and you're like, well, Marcus, I, I'm not sure. 
I, I'm not sure if I've made that decision for Christ. Well, I would encourage you, make that decision. Decide to live for Christ. Invite him into your heart. Let us know. Let's schedule a time for you to understand what that means. Schedule a time to, to get baptized. Schedule a time to start to grow because that indeed is what God wants for you. So as we close up this message and we, we spend time reflecting on God's goodness, on the sacrifice that he made that gives us access to all of this when he came and he took that burden that was reserved for you, that was reserved for me. And he took all that wrath of God and he took it for us. And he died on that cross. And he gave of his body and he shed his blood. So today as we, we take the bread, let's be reminded of the body that he sacrificed for us. So that we could have access to God's glorious gifts. Let's be reminded of the blood that was shed because without blood being shed, the Bible tells us there's no forgiveness of sins. There's no remission of sins and blood. Someone needs to pay the price for sin. And thank God he let his son do that. So I encourage you, let's take time to reflect as we pray and we begin to take communion as a family. Lord, I thank you so much for your word, God, I thank you for examples like Paul, amazing men of God, Lord. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that through his radical conversion, Lord, we can see that we need a radical conversion as well, Lord. And I thank you for paying the price for us to have access to you through your son as we take the bread and we take the juice, Lord. We thank you and we reflect upon your goodness and that sacrifice you made for us. And I pray, God, that we would receive the glorious gifts that you have given us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.